1: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 198. Today's episode is all about redeeming heartache and trauma. How are you,
0: really? And and can you sink into that question long enough to tell the truth and to face the parts that are scary and that you don't want to look at and that you believe if you look too closely, they're going to eat you whole and, and to send you into the pits of depression or anxiety Can you hold and ask that question long enough to to start to form an answer?
2: When you get disrupted and you begin to say, I want more, then there is a whole path of life ahead of you. It doesn't make it easier. In some ways, it makes it harder, but it always makes it better.
1: Turn up your frequency with love.
0: Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's
1: time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, my love. If you have not yet subscribed, please hit that cute little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts are a really great way to give back if you find this show helpful. They help the show climb the charts, which helps more people find it and helps me get even better guests for you. Today, I want to share a review from Nate Dog, who says, such a powerful message. This podcast is truly a gem. Melissa does a great job of bringing abstract concepts and self-improvement into the midst of everyday life. She also is such an amazing storyteller and so vulnerable in sharing her personal experience. Highly recommend. Well, thank you so much, Nate, for leaving this review. It really made my day. But now, onto the show. Why did this happen to me? I'm sure we've all asked ourselves that at one time or another. Hell, with everything that's happened this last year, I'm sure a lot of us are asking why is this happening to all of us? When we listen to guests of Mind Love, or authors of best-selling books, or public speakers, one thing is pretty clear. For the most part, they have figured out why. It seems so clear when they tell their stories they usually seem to come full circle with the purpose or moral wrapped in a bow all ready to be gifted to the world. I have a story like that. My trauma, my rock bottom, my rise from the ashes. Here's what I've learned though. It is very rare to find the meaning behind your own experiences if you don't actively look for it. You have to do the work. And the perfect full circle of anyone's story is just an illusion. It's something that they craft to make it memorable. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying it's a lie at all. I think it's an allusion to the person hearing the story and the person telling the story. Because if you're still here living your life, you are only still in the middle of your story regardless of how far you've come. And that means that there will likely be more rises and more falls. We're collectively in one right now, so that shouldn't be that difficult to see. When I first started doing the work, you know, to find the deeper meaning in everything that I've gone through, I thought that once I found the meaning, everything would become clear. The purpose and the pain, why I'm here, my path forward. And it did shine a light on some of that. But what wasn't clear was how to actually move forward without bringing the weight of my past experiences with me. Those experiences made me who I am, but I would oscillate between feeling empowered by what I overcame and feeling weighed down by all that I was still carrying with me. Could my past influence my future by lighting my way instead of casting a shadow? And if so, how do I navigate the emotions that I still have over everything that's happened to me? At what point am I feeling too much or holding on to my pain? How do I begin to release it to build strength? Well, that's what we're talking about today, and we have two guests, Dr. Dan Allender and Kathy Lurzel. Dr. Dan has pioneered a unique therapy centered around transforming betrayal, ambivalence, and powerlessness into faith, hope, and love. He's a professor of counseling psychology at the Seattle School and the founder of the Allender Center, speaking on trauma, sexual abuse recovery, love and forgiveness, and intimacy. Kathy is co-founder and executive vice president of the Allender Center. She spent the last decade working with Dan to develop trauma-informed narrative theory and is a popular speaker and instructor. So three key things we will learn are how to become more self-aware of the past trauma or pain that influences your present, how to identify the lies we tell ourselves so we can heal, and how to move through and release big emotions. But before we get started, have you signed up for the morning mind love yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Every weekday morning, you get a little piece of inspiration to give you something positive to focus on for the day. It's kind of like a short note from your higher self. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of self-reflective journaling prompts to help you grow. And it is all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. Now let's welcome Dr. Dan Allender and Kathy Lertzel. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. So I am really curious, what inspired you guys to collaborate and start talking about this idea of redeeming heartache?
2: Oh, that's a lovely and loaded question. Uh, Let's just say both of us are trauma experts. We work in that realm, and we just saw for many people a kind of a refusal to name, especially in this crazy COVID era, uh, that we are all in trauma. I mean, I think it's getting clearer and clearer, but we were so aware that people want to do almost anything to escape the reality that things are often not as we would wish. And there is an effect inevitably in our bodies as a result of having to go through both personal familial collective traumas and to name what is the effect on our relationship with one another, ourselves, on God, on just how we live. That was sort of the impetus that began this work.
1: I know for me, my first trauma that I experienced, I didn't even realize it was a trauma until years later when it popped back up when I wasn't expecting it. And in the same way, I also have gone through times where I don't recognize my numbing behaviors because we think that maybe it's just these big addictions to some hardcore drug or drinking every single night. And we might not realize that maybe it's that one glass of wine at night or maybe it's scrolling through social media. So I wanna go back to the beginning and ask, how do you guys define trauma?
2: Well, begin with any threat to your life. And again, that may sound dramatic, but it can be a threat to your marriage, a threat to your friendships, a threat to your job. When there is a danger that you, on a second level, cannot truly control, you feel to some degree powerless to be able to change the trajectory of this threat or loss. When you've got those two elements, threat and some degree of powerlessness, you've got the major ingredients to anything that is traumatic. But when you add that, there's always the sense of, I should be not in this position. I should have not chosen that direction. I should have known better. So what we often refer to as moral injury, a sense of, I'm at fault. So threat, powerlessness, and a sense of shame That's what we understand as the core elements to trauma.
0: And when I think about trauma, there are two different categories that I've found helpful. I think, you know, one thing about us as humans is that we actually have an incredible capacity to mitigate trauma. Um, We, not all traumatic events have to turn into embedded traumas. And, and that's a distinction that we do a lot of work around um, at the Honor Center, which is where we, we work, and also in, the, in um, the newest book that we wrote, um, because I think there's a misperception that every single trauma actually becomes something that, that is an embedded trauma that impacts our lives, and we're actually able to work through traumatic events if it's done well. So there's a lot of research that's coming out on trauma. Trauma is a hot topic right now, as we all know. Um, And uh, Dan Siegel does a lot of work in his his books um, around what it takes to actually mitigate trauma and have it move through our bodies in a way that disembeds it from our trauma psyche. So in other words, we can actually heal from a traumatic event if it's handled well. But here's the issue. Most of our traumatic events are not handled well by caregivers, by culture, by our own hearts towards ourselves. And therefore, they get embedded in in our hearts and our souls and then need a recovery mission almost to go back and then heal those parts of ourselves. So when we talk about trauma, we're talking about those embedded traumas that are in our system that have never actually been connected to and healed in the way that they need to be.
1: So if these don't have to be big things all the time, and they are just something that sort of derails our life that shows us that we're not in control. You, I like that you call it redeeming heartache because a lot of people think of heartache and they think of just a, a lost relationship. But how does the idea of heartache connect with a past trauma?
2: Uh, our heart, if we can just say, is the core of who we are. Another word for that would be our sense of self. So when trauma lands, there is some degree of fragmentation. I love the way Kathy put it. Not all trauma has to be traumatizing, but the more sense of threat and shame, the more sense of feeling powerless and vulnerable, the more likely we're gonna do exactly what you were speaking about Melissa in the very beginning. And that is, we turn to food, we turn to sex, we turn to alcohol, we turn to drugs, we turn to Instagram. There's so many ways we attempt to escape rather than name and honor and engage. And that, uh, you know, it's such a cultural and personal and familial issue. We have all been taught to escape trauma and its effects rather than having both the language, but also the courage to step into it. So, part of redemption is counterintuitive here. That part of redemption is can we actually admit how lost we are, how scattered, broken, confused? You know, so heartache we can't really engage it well unless we're willing to turn and look at what our story holds, even in the recent past, let alone the longer realm of our stories.
1: So when we engage in a lot of these coping mechanisms, I look back to my 20s compared to now. And one thing I find interesting is now when I'm engaging in those in those activities, whatever it might be, whether it's the more harmful ones lately, these days, it's the less what I deem to be the less harmful ones, you know, the scrolling through social media or grabbing a glass of wine or whatever, not like my 20s where I would just go hardcore and go party for like five days at a time. And so, in but even though my coping mechanisms have become less extreme. I have this inner voice that I cannot ignore. Like, I know that I'm unsatisfied, but before I didn't see that. I thought I was having fun. I thought this was the way of, of overpowering the pain where I could just move Mm -hmm. through it. and, And still my life felt happy and good. And I couldn't, it was just something about Uh, It was just hard for me to see that I was actually in a state of despair. And I think a lot of people are there. And I think a testament to how I handle it now is a lot of the work that I've done. So for the people that are still in that state of almost denial, why does that happen? Or why can't they always see that they might be going, experiencing pain in their life? Mm
2: -hmm. If we can just use a metaphor here, like if you're in an accident, you've got the likelihood of soft tissue injury, and it doesn't usually show up the day of the accident. It shows up sometimes weeks, months, and sometimes even major periods later, but it has to be treated. And yet, the treatment is not just medication or Uh, you know, physical therapist, so often this slow process of engaging our lives and our story, particularly our past, feels worse than the disease. Uh, It's crazy to say that the healing process requires not just mindfulness, but a disruption, a, a kind of disruption that says, things are not well. And I love the integrity that you spoke of with regard to your own life of being able to go, I kind of know this is not working. There's a deep sense in which none of us really change until there's a growing dissatisfaction that distraction doesn't solve. And I think that, if I can just use those two words again, dissatisfaction, that is not managed through some form of distraction leaves us feeling traumatized. We feel a threat, we feel helpless, and we feel somewhat ashamed. So we have to enter trauma, which feels traumatizing. But if we don't, that soft tissue is not going to change. It's only gonna get worse. So I I, I love the fact that you have engaged patterns, But know only too well that the lesser harm actually keeps you away from the greater good that you really want for your life and for your family.
1: At what point do some of the excuses that we make for ourselves start to become just lies that we're telling ourselves? (laughs) And when we realize we're doing that, like what are the steps to get out of that cycle? Because... I think that sense of denial can be really strong for a lot of people. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. At what point do some of the excuses that we make for ourselves start to become just lies that we're telling ourselves?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that keeps us in unhealthy patterns is, is to the degree that we're um, committed to the facade of who we think we are. Um, And, and I think for many of us, especially when we're younger, right, we build a facade around who we think we are that matches kind of our own self-perception or, or who we think we should be, right? And eventually that breaks down. Eventually those coping mechanisms that are needed, right? So because those things are built when we experience harm or um, we realize we can't trust the people we're meant to trust. These these are patterns that get set up in, in early trauma, in early childhood trauma, or or just spaces of disconnection with caregivers, places where, um, you know, we were meant to trust and we found out that it wasn't nearly as safe as we thought it was. Well, that shifts our style of relating, right? And that happens early on, and for a long time, that shift in how we protect ourselves works. It works, and then we and then the way we see ourselves is, oh, I am, um, I'm capable. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can control the outcome. If I just work harder, if I dissociate, if I drink more, um, I'm in control. Eventually, that starts to break down. Typically, it breaks down when we try to get into more substantial relationships, when we, re- when we start to have kids and we realize it's impacting how we're parenting, um, how we want to engage, how present we can be, right? At some point, it starts to break down and then you have a decision to make. Are you going to listen and recognize this isn't working? Self-medicating by how much I'm drinking or how much TV I'm watching or how much I'm exercising, how much I'm working. We're self-medicating to get ourselves out of this part of ourselves that's kind of starting to emerge, right? And I think we have a choice. You turn back and actually look at that shadow that you've been running from for all these years and actually start to address what's going on and tell the truth about just how afraid you are, how much anxiety you have, the war with your own body, the war you have with trust and relationships. Are you gonna engage that and start to pull the string and see where that came from, where that, where that was um, originated in your life? Or are you going to double down and just keep on trying to make your unhealthy patterns continue to work for you? And it really is that choice. And oftentimes the choice happens in the midst of pretty severe crisis if you don't catch it soon enough, right? Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's that work of, um, at, are, are you willing to lean into where the coping mechanisms are no longer serving you well, and that you actually want to um, uncover what's truly behind the need for them?
2: And I, I love Melissa that that you use the word lying. You know, it's a pretty strong word. Uh, you know it, denial. Denial is so much more, uh, shall we say just sort of gentle. Uh, but when you when you step into and you go, look, there's denial that we actually don't see. I, I don't think there's any question. There's a kind of denial where we're right in front of something but we just don't wanna add up two plus two. There are other times where it's far more self-deception, which is another word for lying. And that is, I see it, I see what two plus two equals, but I'm gonna say it's five. Uh, and in that disruption of the integrity, again, to name, oh, I'm a liar, uh, I deceive myself all the time and I'm deceiving, damn it it's not who i want to be but indeed at times so there's a humility required to own your own brokenness and in that brokenness uh, you know if you hide you create the facade it's just going to elongate that soft tissue injury versus being able to say look i'm a mess i'm i'm broken but i'm also beautiful And I need to own both parts. I'm broken, I'm beautiful. I've got to begin to engage how those parts of who we are came to be as Kathy put it so well.
1: So say somebody is listening to this and they're realizing, you know, I can tell by some of my behaviors that there's gotta be something. And so they start to go back to figure out where these patterns originated from. And when they get there, maybe their trauma wasn't one of the traumas that we talked about in the beginning that was an obvious big trauma it might have been something little to the point that they're like that couldn't be it Mm -hmm. or they're comparing stories of the people around them and they're like but that's so much worse and they get down on themselves even more because they're like really this little thing sent me all in a downward spiral how do you approach that, the comparison or the getting down on yourself because your trauma wasn't big enough or or you don't even know if that was the thing that you should be pinpointing?
2: Oh, brilliant. I mean, look, comparison is the antechamber of hell. Like you want to spend time there? Nah, you don't want to. The comparison in any level. So the idea that my paper cut which actually occurred today, uh, is a whole lot worse than being stabbed about 35, 40 years ago. Uh, I mean, I have memory of being stabbed, but the paper cut hurts now. So you, you, you just have to begin with what's true now for me versus comparison. And I think that process of being able to go, look, trauma always brings fragmentation, that sense of divided. Within us, it always brings a kind of numbing, like it's too much, I can't feel. And it also brings some degree of isolation. So if you see any of those symptom structures, particularly when you begin to remember an event that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago or yesterday, you know, you need to tend to what that trauma holds. So symptoms indicate care is needed, irrespective of whether it was, as we often refer to, capital T traumas, like being sexually violated, a loss of a spouse, or or small T traumas, which so often, if you can hear this well, because we dismiss them, often have even as great, if not greater impact than some of the large T traumas.
1: And when I look back on my story, I've had some big traumas and the ones that are out of my control. And then also the ones that were sort of self-induced. And I look back at it and I see, well, how my self-worth was affected in the beginning, that going untreated, then how it manifested in my life later on. And so I can relate to a good amount of traumas. And one of the things that I've thought when people have said to me, like, oh yeah, but I don't know why I'm complaining about this. It's nothing compared to what you've gone through. I believe that all of my heartaches, all of my traumas were made for me in a way. I don't want to say that, you know, I mean, there's different ways that you can look at this, but to become the person that I am, which I believe I'm becoming the person that I'm meant to be, I did have to go through those things. And if somebody else could become fully there expressed as themselves, exactly how they were divinely meant to be with less than I've gone through, then that is awesome, <laughs> you know? And so if you just reframe it to where it's like, yeah, oh, I didn't need to get punched in the face by the universe, you know, I just got kicked in the shin, Then it's like, it, it's, uh, I think it's easy or it's a helpful reframe for the people that think that, you know, they aren't worthy because they haven't struggled like that person has struggled or they, they don't have a story to tell because of that. And so that's just something that's been really helpful for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in in part of of what we do, often the folks who come to our programs, right, are people who want to help other people who are interested in becoming therapists or, um, you know, want to work in helping professions or start um, NGOs, all that stuff. And they realize they need training around trauma, how to help, how to um, understand their own secondary trauma as they're hearing stories of heartache from other people most people are so surprised by how much they've been impacted by the small nuances of their story. I think what's beautiful about us as human beings is that we are born to be incredibly sensitive and incredibly aware of our surroundings. And we are really built for perfect connection. We're built for perfect attunement, right? So, um, Attunement is just someone being able to read your need. And as as babies, right? Like you have a six month old, I have have small kids. They're born believing that if they cry, someone is going to come. Someone is going to pick them up, it's gonna work. They're built knowing and believing that they're going to be taken care of by their caregivers, right? Um, The caregivers are the ones that teach them that that can't always be trusted. And it's not necessarily our fault. Like we're all human. My, my kids cried and, and learned that like, I'm not always going to be available. I'm not the perfect mother. Right. So right away, they're having to deal with the difference between what they were created for, which was the perfect connection and what's available to us, which is something that is different than the, than perfect. Right. And, and all of us, have to grapple with that to whatever degree it is. So some of it is more severe. That's the capital T trauma that Dan was talking about. But again, the, the folks who come into our offices as therapists or come into the honor Center who have big T trauma know that they're traumatized, right? They know they've had abuse, they've had sexual assault, they've had narcissistic parents, like they have big wounds that are that are obvious. And they're actually in some ways easier to to help move through a healing process because they're so aware of where they've been harmed. It's so obvious. The folks who come in who are like, I don't know, um, you know, it's just, it's a feeling or my mom was always there, but there was something about her that felt like if I needed her too much, then she was going to be absent or, you know, and it's those vague, small, nuanced, small, like little paper cuts that happen over time that actually in some ways impact us more as adults because it's less obvious. And we can't pinpoint it It feels like a vapor that you're breathing in versus a bludgeoned instrument. Um, And vapors are so difficult because you have to smell it and have a sense of its impact, right? It's a nuanced sort of healing. And I think what I would say is that those are the parts of us that if we can lean into and touch and hold and care for, it actually means that we get to experience far more healing as adults, um, far deeper relationships, more delight, more joy, um, you know, better parents, better spouses and partners. Like there's a way that we can heal if we're willing to go back and trust that those nuanced stories of harm impact us almost as much as the big T traumas.
1: So when we talk about leaning into this type of trauma, what does that process look like? Because I've seen people who don't want to look at it at all. And they're just all about, let's move forward. I actually interviewed somebody back in the day and he was like one of those masculine go-getter type guys. And I was like, I've asked my question, like, let's talk about your past. How'd you get here? He's like, I don't think about yesterday. I only think about the future next (laughs) like wow okay but it's gotten him a lot of success I don't know how he is emotionally and then there's the other people who start diving into their trauma and it leads to years and years of therapy digging up the same thing over and over again what is the balance of a healthy dive in without staying there I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. what is the balance of a healthy dive in without staying there?
2: Well, let's go back to, you have to have language. And one of the things that we do in redeeming heartache is talk about what's it like to be an orphan? And we think of that as somebody who's lost their parents, but orphan actually is anyone who's lost a sense of identity and safety in relationship. And so, Can we own, name, and care for the orphan parts of us? And we talk about stranger. These are categories that come out of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Stranger is somebody who is alien, uh, who has lost their language, culture, world of safety and care. You know, we've all felt weird, particularly those of us who haven't been able to fit in because we haven't been able to deny the reality of the world we're living in. And so to feel strange, to feel odd, uh, those are realities that come as a result. And to feel like a widow, that is we've lost love. So we talk about three core categories, to be unsafe, to be alone, and to have lost love. And if we can begin to help you name where those parts of you play out in relationship in the present, you've got some connection between the past and the present. Our past is shaping us, but it's the present we get to address because we can't change the past in the typical sense, but we can begin to change how it is flooding and surfacing in the reality of how we're living today. So anybody who kind of goes through trauma, 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 year after year after year, uh, I, I don't blame that person. I, I actually think that therapist sucks uh, because the reality is uh, a good therapist is gonna hold past and future well in the present on behalf of a person, which means we need to grieve But I love the way you put it, and that is in the reality of our grieving and the harm, there's something of a trajectory of new life, new potential, and and, and really a resurrection of what would be at one point dead, but now has the chance to come back in a new way. So we, we don't just talk about healing. We have to talk about how our lives are meant to be Uh, really a fragrance and a delight to others as we continue the healing process.
1: How do you coach people into working with the emotions that come up when they are diving into these traumas? Because sometimes it can be pretty big things. And I know for me, there's even been times where it, it is the littler things where I'm contemplating. A lot of times that happens in meditation or when I'm journaling and I'm like, oh my God, that was the thing that led to this resistance now, or that led to this now. And it's so funny. I almost feel like I could cry now. And I don't even have one thing in mind because there's something so powerful about that moment of connecting the dots. And so Mm -hmm. how do you recommend that people work with those emotions? Do they just sit there and let it run through them? Do I know a lot of people think that strength is holding it in. So what is, what are your guides for that?
0: Mm -hmm. You know, interestingly enough, as you were talking, um, the the first thing that came to my mind was the sense of we have to do this in community and in relationship. Um, And whether or not that's a therapist or friends or a small group that you're working with In, in the Allender center, we do, um, the, the hallmark of, of, of how we help people move into their trauma stories and their childhood trauma is in a group setting where they have seven other individuals that are journeying with them, with a facilitator who's been highly trained, um, but they tell their stories together in community. And it's not just about the professional therapist who is, you know, who's who knows technically how to handle it, it's also the faces. And the eyes and the voices of a community of people around you listening and being able to read your face and your story in a way that we just can't because we're too close to it. And so, as we coach people into these really difficult spaces, you know, one, it's a really big deal to, to start to lean into to trauma and to your stories of heartache. And it's not something um, that we take lightly because um, it is possible to be re-traumatized in your telling of your trauma stories, right? So we're very careful about the context and the safety in which you have when you're kind of entering into these things. Um, But as you offer your story, um, I think Dan always talks about we we can't see our own faces. Um, It's the community around us that can really see us. And, and read the nuances, see when our face is crestfallen, read the, between the lines of our stories and offer um, a reparenting. Because really what you're doing is you're going back to these stories that were um, mishandled by our families. Uh, you know, Our families often, if you're in a decent family, try hard to handle our heartache, but they're in the midst of their own heartache, they're in the midst of trying to keep their lives together and they don't always know how to attune well to us. I mean, you know, like I with my boys, I have, I, they're five and seven already, I have numerous stories of where I've missed them, right? And I'm a trauma therapist, <laughs> but I know my own capacity where I'm like busy and I, I don't have time. And I'm like, can you just pull it together? I just can't even handle it, um, you know? And I have to kind of go back and say, hey, buddy, um, I, I know I didn't handle that well and I'm really sorry. And that wasn't on you, that's on me right? Like I'm doing that all the time. And so, but what we can do as a community of healers is that as we come back to these stories, 20, 30, 40 years later, a group of people who are dedicated to being present with you can all actually heal those past traumas in the present. They can actually be with you in the way that your body was meant to be held as a child, and they can slow the moment down, sit with you in the detail and care for a heart. Our, our brains are able to be healed from the past in the present. It's incredible that we have that sort of capacity and plasticity to our minds. Like our minds are wired for healing. Um, that's incredible. So the but the way you can do that is by offering attunement, you know, care in the present to some of these stories knowing that none of us escaped a past where we were missed where we were not loved well, where someone skipped over our pain or, or worst case scenario mocked it or, or added injury to it by the way that we were handled. And, and I think we can do that together um, if you have caring people who are willing to be with you in, in the trauma. And again, it's, it really comes down to telling your story Um, But not just blurting it out in an unsafe way and hoping that that's going to make it better, but telling your story in the safety of people who care for you and love you. Well,
2: let me just go back and say, you know, Melissa, you're asking such good questions. How many times in a normal day do you get somebody who's as attentive as you are, wise as you are, and inviting the kinds of interactions that you're inviting. I mean, it's lovely, but let's just say in the quote unquote real world, very few people are that curious. Very few people are that committed to pursue and to have what Kathy has so well said, presence, a kind of, I am with you. I feel, I suffer, I witness your life. And that uh, again may sound anemic to some people, but, the presence of somebody who actually is curious and compelled by you, uh, it changes our brain. I mean, we've got research data about what attunement brings to the change of our limbic system, particularly uh, where we feel trauma most acutely in terms of our amygdala. And we just have to come back and go, look, this is the way God made us for a relationship and made us for a kind of relationship that we so often literally experience once in a blue moon. And the more we encounter true care, true tenderness, true kindness, uh, even a few moments can change something of the trajectory of our lives.
1: I love the example that you said, Kathy, about uh, your child saying, Hey, I didn't show up the best here. It wasn't on you. It was on me. That alone takes vulnerability, which Mm -hmm. for some people might be easier with their kids or close family members, maybe for others, not so much. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I, I have always yearned for those Types of connections that belonging, maybe it comes from being an only child, but I've always been looking for that. I've always been kind of an oversharer, though. And so it's like over the years, I've honed it from that kind of blurting it out that you said, and to now knowing when it's a safe space, doing it for the connection rather than the shock factor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's like, I've been practicing my whole life, even with the shock factor. And so for the people that are trying to create that community that you talk about, that might be hearing this with like a yearning, like, why don't I have that? How -hmm. do you recommend that they do try to Cultivate that a little bit more, or try to either change the dynamic of those that are close to them that might be more closed off, or to get comfortable being vulnerable so that they invite other people to do the same.
2: <sighs>
1: Dan, you want to take that one, or you want me to?
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I'll just begin by saying look, all of us have like a hand up going, stay away. And another hand up basically going please don't leave me alone and we're, we're literally like trying to teach a 15-year-old how to drive a stick shift like we're jerks we're jerking around we 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 invite we push away we invite we push away if we have the integrity to name look this is part of my fear of vulnerability my fear of shame and, you know we get human When we get vulnerable and in that vulnerability we find we're all pretty much again we're vastly different but there's a lot of commonality so if we can share just enough of i'm scared i don't know where this is going to go but i want i want you know if we can name our fear and our desire It changes virtually everything within the context of a relationship. And that can be with strangers. uh, That can be with people whom you've been in a relationship with for decades. The lack of vulnerability in a lot of relationships is pretty staggering. Uh, And a lot of marriages uh, have lost the capacity for a level of vulnerability that allows the partners to actually be human together. And I think that sense of being human-sized, of not trying to be too much, not denying that what I offer is something good, not being too little, but engaging in a way that humbly acknowledges, look, we each have something to give. We each have something to receive. And it's scary. It's scary after being married to my wife for 45 years. But nonetheless, why would I want for anything less than what it could be. So I think we're going back to that notion of when you get disrupted and you begin to say, I want more, then there is a whole path of life ahead of you. It doesn't make it easier. In some ways it makes it harder, but it always makes it better.
1: I know for me, it goes back to that thing we talked about in the beginning where people are become attached to this kind of persona that they've created or that they think they are, they think that other people perceive them to be. And so inviting them into a story that maybe you haven't told them or a, a side of you, a vulnerability that you haven't really expressed yet can be scary. But I'll also say that for me, it becomes exhausting trying to hold up this persona because at some point it becomes not a persona that I actually believe that I am. You start to realize that you're putting on a front because you've got all these other feelings that you're unwilling to share and being somebody that you're not is exhausting. And you can't really find that connection with your authentic self until you start sharing those deeper parts of yourself. So thank you so much for, for (laughs) opening up that conversation. And I want to know for the listeners that are listening and they're really resonating with some of this, what is an action step or some questions to ask themselves that will invite a level of awareness that might bring up some of the things that they can start working on, that they can start opening up to other people with, if they haven't yet seen the things that might be affecting them today.
2: Mm. You know, where are you reluctant to name that you're broken, that there are things about who you are that really break your heart, disappoint you, or leave you feeling less than. And I think the courage to step into the language of orphan stranger widow is really quite helpful. But further, where is your glory, your beauty? Where is the goodness of your life? And can you name it? And what we find, generally speaking, is that people have a lot harder time naming the beauty of their life than naming the brokenness. You know, we can all name, yeah, COVID, I've been drinking too much. Yeah, I've done this, Uh, I wish I hadn't done that. But we can move there so much more quickly than we can to being able to name, you know, I I fail a lot, but I get back up. Or, you know, I am confused a lot, but I keep looking. You know, when you begin to name something of the beauty of your life, Uh, it's not just self-affirmation, it's an acknowledgement of your creator, acknowledgement that you've been given gifts and those gifts are meant to not only be enjoyed by you, but actually are meant to be part of what you give to others. So I think that's where I would say, can you ask where do you hide your brokenness and where are you reluctant to name your beauty?
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I mean for me um this whole journey for me to to this work happened by a a freshman in college my the girl who lived across the dorm room from me um you know she came to me uh and said look you know you you seem nice uh you know I, I I like you but um you kind of put forward this per- this perfect sense of who you are, and underneath your eyes look really sad. Um, oh. Yeah, right. And 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 she's like, you know, do you know why you're so sad? And 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 I did, and I didn't. But I but I knew she was right. And. And I think that, just that question alone, and really the core of that question is, is how are you? How are you, really? And and can you sink into that question long enough to tell the truth and to face the parts that are scary and that you don't wanna look at and that you believe if you look too closely, they're gonna eat you whole and to send you into the pits of depression or anxiety. You know, can, can you hold and ask that question long enough to, to start to form an answer, how, how, how are you? Um, and then are you willing to risk telling someone else the answer? It's really where it starts. Um, how are you and, and will, you, will you find someone that, that you think maybe is trusted enough that will listen to your answer and, and start to sink into, because um, none of us are okay right now. Like, I, we're just not, <laughs> no one I talk to, even the people who are really well and have really high coping mechanisms and really healthy in therapy, we, we're, not, we're not doing well. We're scared, we're undone. We don't know where true north is. We're, we're, we're inundated by what I've come to call um, our Instagram proverbs. That are telling us who we are and what we should be and what we should believe and to the, the best thinking. And you know, I mean, we're we're we are looking for um for a compass. And and you know, and for some of us, that compass is is faith in a high, in a higher being and a God. Some of that is a sense of of but but all of that resonates in your wisdom center in your core. If you actually ask yourself those questions and give yourself enough time to answer them honestly, we know far more about ourselves than we would like to know. Um, And and so I think you know it can be there are plenty of resources out there with with so many people getting into story work and trauma. You know there are books, there are resources. There's there's our book Redeeming Heartache. There's the Allender Center that has therapists listed there. Like there are ways that you can start this journey. But it really starts with that one question and, and your capacity to answer it honestly um, with courage and vulnerability.
1: I love the two sides that both of you shared because, Kathy, you talked about it's kind of the initial question, like, how are you? Are you okay? And that can open up to some of the other questions questions that Dan brought up of like, what am, what's coming up for me that I'm afraid to share? What, what's coming up for me that feels broken. And I'm reminded of my twenties when I was putting on the happy face, everyone thought I was just a jokester. I was always willing to have fun. And when I would be by myself, I would cry so hard and sometimes for no reason. And I remember feeling maybe I was bipolar. I'm not sure. Like just thinking I had these big irrational emotions that how was I going to hide from people who got too close to me because I wasn't put together. You know, it was the part of me that I was one of the parts of me that I was ashamed about at the time, but the willingness to dive into that made allowed me to transform that in such a way to where I still feel deeply (laughs) and and it's a different energy that I, that I bring to it where, I mean, there were times during pregnancy, my emotions were all over the place. I was crying like a toddler for hours where if somebody walked in, they would have thought I was dying, (laughs) but I've have a new relationship with my emotions to where it's not this part of me that I need to hide. I recognize it as I'm not erratic. I'm not crazy. I feel deeply and it's become Mm -hmm. one of my biggest superpowers now that I'm willing to have a relationship with it because it's, it speaks to everything I do my connections with people, how I'm able to gain insights from amazing guests like you guys. And so I just want to encourage people out there that it is not all hard. Some of it's so elating. It's, it's, it's really rewarding when you do the work. And so thank you guys both for what you've brought to this conversation and for listeners that are interested in working with you or learning about your new book, where's the best place for them to connect?
0: Well, the book is, um, redeeming heartache and it's in on Amazon and all of the other, uh, seller lists that you can go to. Um, and the allender center.org is where you can find online courses and other resources and, um, Uh, conferences and places that you can get training. So those are our
1: two places, two places to start. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 198. I want to make this week's challenge easy for you. I know how difficult it can be to dig into all of your past trauma. So instead of actually digging into it, I'd like you to just sit with yourself. As you sit, I just want you to feel. Feel what's in your body. And I don't mean by digging into your past trauma and feeling what comes up. I want you to just feel what you're carrying right now. As you sit there, trust that you know what you've gone through without even having to think about it. You know what pain you've gone through, the struggles you've overcome, the struggles you're still going through. And I want you to tell yourself just how strong you are for having done that. Thank your body for getting you through this. Thank yourself, your human, for being there with you. Thank your higher self for being guidance when you have the courage to call on her. Again, just sitting with this. And as you say these words of affirmations or you give yourself a little love in this moment, notice how you feel in your body. Do you feel the energy moving? Do you feel anything releasing? Do you feel things getting tighter or more tense? Just draw attention to those areas of your body, to the emotions that are coming up, and focus on loving yourself. Focus on directing all of the positive energy and love that you have towards you because you deserve it. This is such a powerful practice. It's one that I try to do regularly, ideally every single day, maybe multiple times a day. We don't often contemplate or or reflect on the things that we are currently going through. We spend more time reflecting on our past or trying to see the message once we've overcome it. But there is so much work to be done just in this moment. The present is all we really have. I've been reading a lot of Paul Selig this week, and a quote stood out to me. The immediacy of the moment is the only place that God may be known. Your interpretation of God might be different, and that's totally okay. And it's only in this present moment that you can feel your divinity. So remember that and try to call it forth as often as you can. It's what gets me over every hump, the the depths of the moments when I'm in fear, that's what I try to call to. So I hope it works for you guys as much as it works for me. For everyone who wants to support the show, I thank you so much ahead of time. The best ways to support the show is to support my amazing sponsors. I love them all like a lot to where it's becoming pretty bad. I feel like they're getting me hooked on products one sponsor at a time. And so most of my sponsors are things that I now purchase with my own money regularly. So I trust that you guys love them as much as I do. Another way to support the show is by joining MindLove Premium by going to mindlove.com premium or signing up right in the Apple Podcasts app, although there are some extra benefits when you sign up through the website. And finally, either by sharing the show, shouting it on social media, tagging Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast, or leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do, you just may hear your review read on the show. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.